We are loving all things local this month. A good place to begin is a topic we all enjoy, local food and beverage. This is a time of ethical eating, no argument there, but what exactly does that mean? We think it has a lot to do with today's love local theme because it is important to know where our food is coming from and, ideally, to know the people who are part of the process. An honest conversation about ethical eating begins, of course, with agriculture. Mike Wagner, a rice farmer known for his innovative approach to agriculture, joins us from Sumner, Mississippi. He is interviewed by Dr. Jim Varner of Memphis. Welcome, I'm Jim Varner, and on today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Mike Wagner of Two Brooks Farm, just down the road in Sumner, Mississippi. Uh, In keeping with uh, uh, River City lifestyle uh, theme for this month, which is Love Local, uh, we'll be addressing eating local, uh, stewardship of the environment, and sustainable agriculture. Mike, thanks for being here with us this morning. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Uh, I'll toot your horn just a little bit as we get started. This past year in 2022, Mike was named Farmer of the Year in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I guess I'll follow up with asking, what were the criteria for that selection? And did you have a vote? (laughs) I I had no vote, didn't know it was going to happen, and I still don't know the criteria. Um, uh, We work diligently at what we do, and I guess it's been recognized within the industry in the state and the region. All right, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then give us an introduction to Two Brooks Farm. Uh, I am a 10th generation farmer. Uh, uh, they farmed, uh, started in 1742 in the Shenandoah Valley. I think this year will be our 282nd consecutive crop in America, which may be the longest string uh, in the United States. Uh, they farmed throughout the South. Uh, I came from the Boot Hill, Missouri, bought land in uh, Mississippi, and uh, uh, farmed with my uh, children. Uh, uh, Lawrence and Abby just gained a daughter-in-law, have a number of very valuable employees that have been with me for a number of years. Um, we grow rice and mill rice. How long have you been farming uh, in Sumner? How long? How many generations is that? Yeah, uh, one. I'm, I'm it. That's it? I'm the first okay. one. Neat. Uh-huh. Tallahatchie uh, County. Right. So did, uh, you know, I grew up in Memphis, and in proximity to Memphis, you have farms, and I've had some family members who have been farming and it was always soybeans and cotton, at least in North Mississippi. Has rice been a staple crop for years, or is it more of a recent development? Well, uh, relatively recent. It started in the 40s or 50s, probably in Washington County, although everyone claims to be the first rice farm in <laughs> Mississippi. I'm certainly not. Uh, started in uh, 86, but um, it's, it's been here for two and a half, three generations. Right. You know, again, rice is always in, in the South. We call it a side, and right. it's uh, it's it's you can usually find it on just about any menu in the South. But it's uh, it's it's competing with uh, all the other staples that we have, whether it be baked beans or uh, any other uh, corn or grits or whatever. I think it's a basis for a lot of the foodways in the South, uh, from the Carolinas to um, all across the Texas. Um, I was just gotten back from California. It's in a lot of food bowls out there. Uh, it's 20% of the world's calories. Uh, it feeds half the world's people, and I, th- I think it's a very prominent part of 
a lot of menus around. People are a little more health conscious, I think, because of our sedentary lifestyles. But um, and and so they want to kick the carbs to the to the gutter. But uh, I eat about four or five spoonfuls a day, and uh, I think I'm fairly healthy. Tell me about rice. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with brown rice and white rice, and occasionally basmati rice. Are there other uh, types of rice that you raise, or is it limited to those? We currently grow in uh, eight or nine different varieties. We have uh, long grain. We have two types of long grain, typical southern long grain. Southerners like loose cooking rice, generally not sticky rices. But uh, we grow two long grains. We grow uh, misamati. We have a trademark on that. It's a, a basmati type, very high 2AP, um, which is the popcorny smell. Uh, we grow jasmine. We grow a red rice called scarlet. We grow a black rice called sable. We, uh, we have tipped off, and we have the analogs of those, the grits. And uh, we, we, my kids grind flour on a grist mill. And we have, um, we, we're blowing up some seed for uh, arborio and sushi. And so we'll have those on the market next year. Interesting. Um, rice grits. Tell me about rice grits. Or I guess rice flour. Is that made in making bread? Or what's that flour utilized for? It, yeah, in the Carolinas, they have recipes for bread. Uh, it's not prominent south. It's uh, gluten-free for those that are challenged. It, um, uh, it's great for making a roux. Uh, any sort of thing that uh, requires gluten-free, uh, thickeners of any sort. Um, the grits, uh, when rice naturally has a fissure in it out in the field, uh, some of the kernels will mill out whole, you hope, a higher degree because they bring more on the market. Well, the people in the Carolinas years ago figured out they could send the whole grains to uh, Europe for a premium. They kept the short grains at home for themselves and the, and the people on the farm. And uh, those short grains, strangely enough, imbibe flavor better than the long grains. They're wonderful. And uh, put, I use them in lieu of uh, corn grits, and they absorb flavors better and made a, make a better background on, on for whatever dish you're preparing. Is all rice that you grow for human consumption, or is there any uh, for uh, livestock or any other species, I should say? We occasionally have <laughs> some things that uh, fail quality, um, and we'd sell those to, uh, you know, in the husk. Uh, strangely enough, cattle like rice husk. And, uh, you know, if we have a, a plethora of uh, half and three-quarters, well, some of those end up in the cattle feed ration. And the rice bran is a natural deer feed, but some of that goes to a dear friend of mine who feeds out high-end cattle on his farm in Oxford. Interesting. You know, the trend has been to sell organic and to promote sustainable agriculture and to talk about going green it, it seems like when you go to the grocery store and i don't go often and you pick anything up it purports to be organic right everything from uh, lettuce to cereal to toothpaste i mean it's incredible everybody wants that label it, is that truth in advertising or is there actually a benefit to having organic uh, products there's a great benefit to having organic products and i wish we could all do that uh, it works in some commodities better than others. Rice is one of those that has a very mixed uh, bag. We, we, um, um, I was in a jungle in Belize one time, and they were shoving down the rainforest with two bulldozers and a giant chain between them. And I said, "What? What? what are you, I, I, I'm a tree hugger. I said, what are you doing? And uh, we're shoving the trees down to plant peas in four years, but we grow two or three crops of 
organic rice just for the American market. And I was thinking, thinking, you know, if the uh, average consumer in America that buys organic rice saw that, he'd flip out. <laughs> um, we have a little organic rice, but it makes about a third to half the calories. I call them calories. We're, we're growing calories per acre is what we're doing, uh, nutritious calories per acre. But it grows, it grows a, just a, a fraction of what we can do with our regenerative system, and which is on par with a conventional system. Rice, I'm familiar with seeing in rice fields as I drive south. I, I used to flatland, levied up drop a well, pump up water, plant rice, drain the water, and then harvest your rice. Is that still the standard MO? I would guess so, yeah, uh, in a lot of the south. Uh, uh, but with water and with labor, with uh, other inputs, we've learned to uh, precision landform our fields, and it just so happened mine was so flat, the cheapest thing I could do was uh, flat grade them, flat as a tabletop, and uh, and then I found out all, all sorts of ancillary benefits. So, uh, but yeah, we all growing. Uh, up there, but, uh, some people are growing with poly pipe and, and uh, doing well with that. Uh, just watering down a row like cotton or corn or soybeans. Uh, it's it's a wave of the future. There's some real benefits to that. I know you uh, talked about uh, uh, a continuous. Uh, I don't know if it's continuous fields versus conventional fields. Mm -hmm. What does that imply? Um, a lot of my... Does that mean water's on there permanently? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe 10 months out of the year, except really? at harvest. But the, these continuous fields, we, we plant um, some of my fields. I, I don't, I, I'm always scared of soybeans. I, I was told by a man over on, at uh, Rosedale, Mississippi years ago, if you look at a soybean real close, it's got Chapter 13 wrote all over <laughs> under a microscope. So uh, I, I'm a little hesitant about growing very many soybeans. We can naturally grow rice better than we can soybeans. So we learn to plant continuously in these zero-graded fields and uh, have a culture that uh, kind of marries a lot of different uh, 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 experiences. Um, so we, we just plant rice in these fields. I understand there's an altruistic uh, endeavor as a part of your operation, and, and that is supplying food banks. Can you tell me how that works? Yeah. Um, we have, uh, I'm on the board of Extra Table in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They distribute rice throughout the state. Um, um, uh, we distribute rice to food, little small food banks around the community. And first year of COVID, what was that, 20, I believe, uh, uh, I, I just so happened had uh, some rice that I'm not the neatest farmer in the world. We grow up, we're good at growing weeds. And I had this rice buyer that cursed my rice. So I thought, well, I'll just give the stuff away. And uh, I didn't know I was going to do that. But we had five or six truckloads that went across the United States, milled basis. I think it was 300,000 pounds. It's about 2 million servings that went out free of charge. I had a friend that made arrangements for transportation. but. Uh, we had rice. We were shipping rice to California, and they grow a half a million acres of rice. Yeah, that's a one. That's a wonderful endeavor, uh, and uh, very commendable. Um, health benefits of rice. I mean, uh, tell me, you know, are, are the different varieties of rice offer different health benefits, or are they pretty universal? Uh, they have some. Uh, there's some universal aspects of it. Uh, of course, they all supply necessary carbohydrates for energy. I had two spoonfuls this morning along with some uh, uh, lentils and whatnot, but uh, 
they supply your uh, energy levels. But uh, if you, that's the white rice. The brown rice would supply energy and uh, some um, phytonutrients, uh, some micronutrients. Uh, we have grow the red rice and the black rice each supply um, uh, anthocyanins, uh, especially the black rice, like blueberries. Some of our, uh, I, I've read that this black rice we grow has as many as a servings of blue, as many anthocyanins as as serving of blueberries. Is that kind of synonymous with antioxidants? Uh -huh. or is that, it is okay. Yeah, and, and the red rice has, has, been, has uh, uh, National Institute of Health Research in, uh, indicating it's good for stomach um, ailments and, mm -hmm. and uh, possible cancer prevention. Let me ask you, obviously, after you have a crop and you're ready to harvest, you have water that's uh, you know, affluent or it's you know, jettisoned from the field. Where does that water end up, and does it have... Does it have fertilizers in it? Does it have pesticides in it? Is it is it a, is that a problem, or has there been a solution to that? Well, it's you know it's a problem nationwide uh, with corn or with uh, any crop. Uh, it uh, it's heavy with sometimes it used to be heavy with um, fertilizers with uh, sediments from your field wash off um, erosion. Mm -hmm. uh, these zero grade fields that we have, we've learned to calibrate. Uh, the only fertilizer we put out is uh, some dose of nitrogen, about a half a rate of nitrogen, because it's so full of uh, uh, the remnants of a waterfowl migration. That uh, And then we use, we, our, huh, I can go on. Uh, our fields are shaped like a saucer. Our, our, our plantation is shaped like a saucer so that each side of the farm, the water that tumbles off of it goes to the middle. We use those as sediment banks, as like water piggy banks. And in that, those rice plants that are in that part, that's where concentration of rice is on the place. Uh, that they harvest the, uh, it allows for sediment, uh, the sediment to settle down. It allows for the plants to suck up any excess nutrients that might have been in it. Um, we have water that leaves our, when it leaves the farm, uh, I, I, if I'm walking around and don't have a jug with me, well, I'll drink the water. I'm, ca I'm very uh, happy that it's clean. It's uh, clear as something out of a stream. And um, I have a place on the Gulf, and I, I don't want to go down there and look at a bunch of hypoxia. You know, that's a huge problem in the United States. What is hypoxia? Is it a it's an oxygen deprivation that uh, comes from uh, not just agricultural runoff from across mm -hmm. the uh, Mississippi watershed, but uh, from s urban effluence and um, does it create blooms or is, yes, is that what happens? Algae blooms, yeah, yeah. deprives the water of oxygen, <clears throat> it's right. hard on fish and every, every, all things. Let's talk about wildlife. I understand, you know, um, wildlife conservation as an interest of yours, and I, I understand also there's kind of a set aside for wildlife habitat. And how, are you, is that something you're committed to? Uh, yes. Uh, I was uh, raised, uh, we, we have land in uh, the Boot Hill, Missouri, and I was raised following my father through pastures and woods and streams and, and whatnot. Um, I have about 300 acres of uh, maybe 10% of the place is, is with, with streams, woods, lakes. We have deer, we have uh, <coughs> eagles, we have uh, all sorts of kind of macro uh, animal life. And then out in these fields, we have micro uh, animal life. We have uh, annelids. We have things that feed the crawfish. The, rice, the crawfish like the rice straw. There's a lot of uh, um, gulf uh, birds that you don't normally see that fly up and take residence 
for a, a portion of the year in our fields. We have pelicans. Uh, it turns into kind of a mess with my neighbor's catfish farms, but uh, these pelicans are... <laughs> are they worse than cormorants? Oh, yeah, they're just horrible. Oh, are they? <laughs> well, I like watching them, but my neighbors object to that. You know, you're on the Mississippi Flyway, obviously, right. so you get a lot of shorebirds that, you know, that actually breed in the far north, even in the Arctic, and have, you know, thousand, several thousand mile migrations through your area. Does some of this wetland serve as, as stopover rest points for these birds? And I would think it would be the case. It, it certainly is, and some of them uh, winter here, and uh, if, we don't, if we have a relatively mild winter, and then, and, and it's kind of a reverse in the summer, we have things come up from the uh, Gulf that uh, take residence at, at certain times of the year. Right, that's interesting. Do, uh, do you, I guess you get a lot of waterfowl too. I mean, you're, you're a duck hunter, so obviously waterfowl are important, but that's uh, another important habitat if you're gonna attract and keep you know, waterfowl in your area. Yeah, I'm, I'm a blind waterfowler, so I don't get to hunt anymore, but I go out and watch them every once in a while. The, uh, we have a lot of uh, all sorts of ducks uh, and a lot of uh, geese, uh, different kinds of geese, a lot of snow geese. And they all contribute to the, the fertility and the free tillage of our soil. Uh, we, we do very little tillage. Are there any species of animals that predate on your rice? Or, or that, is that a problem? I mean, they, or is it, I mean, obviously it's a food source for us, but it sounds like also for uh, our wildlife as well. That would be two, and I object to each, but they have a place <laughs> in our ecosystem. They are pardon me, blackbirds uh, that come in the fall, and they, strangely enough, know which fields have jasmine and misamati. They can smell that, and they migrate to those fields those two, first. Those two preferentially. Uh -huh. right. And then we have wild boar that uh, you just don't know what they're going to do. They, um, they have a preference for red rice, and if, you'll, if you're ever out in a rice paddy, you can put that red rice kernel in your in your mouth, and it tastes just a little salty. There's no salt, but it's something about it. That those wild hogs will... will trounce the whole place trying to find this red rice. Pretty destructive too, aren't they? Oh, they're horrible. Yeah. Do they disrupt levees or just fields or is that? Yeah, we know? don't have a lot of levees anymore. Most of this place is uh, zero graded, but uh, they go traipse around the edge of the field and make wallows and whatnot, and they're, they're just horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm envious, like a lot of people who work indoors all day, somebody that can be outdoors, and um, uh, I think I would guess that, you know, whenever I am outdoors, I'm an avid birder, so I, I enjoy that. But there's got to be a spiritual side to being outdoors and being connected to the land and being engaged with your family in this. Can you say something about that? Well, uh, yeah, uh, I'd have to meditate just a moment. It's all I know. Uh, I, 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 I live in isolation. I work in isolation. My only people I'm really <coughs> around is today it's you and, and a lovely hostesses. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I, I can study uh, what part I play in God's kingdom um, all day long. And, uh, yeah, it's very spiritual. Um, kind of as we close here, I'd be interested in knowing, are your products available commercially? Or, and if they are, where can our listeners find them? I, I can't well answer that. Uh, my children have told me to uh, hush up and farm, and they'll take care of the marketing. But they have a website. It's available on the website. It's uh, widely distributed in Memphis at restaurants. And uh, I'm 
aware of a, a few of them, but um, it's all through the South at restaurants. If, if they have rice in Seattle, they have rice in New York. They have a, a lot of rice at boutique places across the United States. Sounds like your daughter's done a good job of distribution. Son, daughter, and daughter, new daughter-in-law. Christian Owen um, has written an article uh, about uh, uh, Mike and his farm in the October of issue of 2022. So if you'd like any additional information that we didn't weren't able to cover here, it's available there. Um, Mike, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with us today. I think you've uh, shed light on what we will consider now a, a novel product that we need to be more aware of and consider more than just as a as a side dish. So thank you for being here with us and uh, safe travels and Godspeed. Thank you. Next, Christina McCarter will speak to ethical eating from a different angle. She's the owner of Feast and Graze. Christina is a true foodpreneur. She is interviewed by River City Lifestyles publication manager, Kit Garrett. Following Christina, we will pause for an update on what's happening at Joe's Wines and Liquors with Cisco Larson. He and Kit will discuss how to make the most of your Valentine's celebration by pairing the best wine or champagne with local foods. Today on Southern Trace, our one of our guests is Christina McCarter. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Our theme for February is Love Local, and Christina is definitely a champion of local businesses in Memphis. Um, so I'm really excited to get to chat with you a little bit more about what you have done for the food space in Memphis and um, just connecting with local businesses. Yeah. So for you, give us a little just background about what you do. Obviously, you are involved in so much in Memphis and have since 2016 really just taken your many ideas and run with them. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say that. I'm, it's crazy to think that it's been uh, seven years right. of food entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. which I think I was I was calling myself foodpreneur before it was more widespread. Now mm -hmm. people kind of understand what that is because when I said it at first, people were just like, what is that? Right. I'm like, it's a person <laughs> <laughs> that only focuses in the food and beverage industry. Mm -hmm. um, early on, I just knew that was my niche. I love food. I love going out to eat. I love connecting with the chefs, the, the bartenders, the staff, everything about it. So... I knew I wanted to stay in that community. Mm -hmm. uh, 2016 is when I started with City Tasting Tours and just completely fell in love with everything Memphis. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to share my love with the, you know, with the people coming in town, the, the locals here. Um, so just about every tour, it was like, I'm falling in love with the city even more because I'm getting to know more people and we're just sharing this love together, mm -hmm. you know, over food. Right, right. Um, and then 
started doing events, and that's when Craft Food and what uh, Craft Food and Wine Festival came about. Yeah, you're coming up on the fourth year, right? Yeah, that's so crazy. That is incredible. Yeah, it's it's a big festival. We've mm-hmm. kind of toned it down a little bit <laughs> just for everybody's sake because it is a lot of people, and you know the the food vendors that are a part of it. I want to make sure that they can give out good experiences to everybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if it's too many people, that kind of takes away from it. So we've made it a little bit more intimate. They they mm-hmm. seem to like that. <laughs> but we've changed it every year just because of feedback we've been getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a shorter session for people to engage, you know, get to know those artisans, mm-hmm. um, shop a little bit. Mm-hmm. enjoy some music, dance a little bit, drink a lot, <laughs> you know, and um, just have a good time. That's really what we want, and it's all for the good cause of uh, church health, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of us have had to use, mm-hmm. um, especially being in this industry where you don't get health insurance. It's just not a benefit that mm-hmm. is common. Yeah. So a lot of us have used church health over the years. So it's kind of a full circle kind Absolutely. of thing for us, yeah. Yeah, so with Craft Food and Wine and mm-hmm. now Feast and Grace mm-hmm. and then City Tasting Box, mm-hmm. like we are <laughs> just in it now. Yes, Feast and Grace came about from the festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were like, it's a cheese board festival. And I looked around and saw a thousand people enjoying cheese and charcuterie and everything in between. And I said, okay, that really is a thing. And this was 2018, 2019. And started looking and saw you know big influencers now who are like on the today show showing people how to make cheese boards and getting making publishing books and all of that and I reached out to a few of them and they were like it's a thing girl you should do it Mm -hmm. and shout out to them (laughs) uh that cheese plate she's my girl I started feasting graze that summer that we finished craft food and wine festival and it just took off I was just like, what would it be like if we had cheese boards delivered to your house? I'd love it. <laughs> and apparently wouldn't. half of Memphis loves it too. Because <laughs> we've been busy since 2019. Right. I mean, nonstop. Um, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Things had to change. So the tours were no longer um, existing. And that was, that was pretty tragic because that was my first baby. Uh, yeah. But I talked to my friend Lisa Brown one day and was like, what if we put some stuff in some bags and, you know, right. again, delivered them around to people. And she was like, let's keep talking about this. I think you're on to something. We were on the phone for eight hours and, and city tasting box came in at eight hours of us talking. We went from a bag to a box and a box to shipping it around the country. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we went from local to nationwide in eight hours, planned it out. You know, got Maya Saini in real early to help us design basically the whole brand. Wow. In in a few weeks, we had everything done. And I went from being just, like, helpless in the food and beverage industry to really feeling like, okay, we can can help again during a time where everybody needs it. Mm -hmm. And um, it kept a lot of us going. Because we were definitely hitting it like decline, you know, oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we about to do? And that just gave people 
something to think about, something to keep their mind going, be creative again, mm-hmm. and uh, still take some time to rest too, because that was a big part of COVID was realizing like we do work too much, mm-hmm. and um, just get creative in a different way, and it it really created a different income for people. Got featured in Forbes, and I know I saw. I, we thought it was a joke. <laughs> we really, when she Dude, called and joke. told us, <laughs> we were like, who? Forbes, like the Forbes, or is this, you know, like a off-brand Forbes right. or something? Right. No, we we did a interview with them twice, and it was it was life changing for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and you were featured in New York Times, New York early Times. on too, because you made oh, that pivot so yeah, quickly. So quick, yeah. March till July, it was changing up every week Completely. on what we could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and how did Crazy. you feel like? COVID and since COVID has changed your connection with local businesses and especially now that you have a brick and mortar Mm -hmm. and how do you feel like that's really changed since then? It, it has, but it is nice to see it kind of coming back. It's a new norm for Mm -hmm. sure. But I think that it's really getting back to the way it was. People are really wanting experiences again. People are wanting to be in person and Mm -hmm. um, see who's cooking, see, you know, see, those connections again because you can eat of course we eat every day but to know what you're eating who you're getting your food from Mm -hmm. that just adds to the storyline of like why I'm here why I chose this restaurant right you know right that level of connection I feel like is very unique to the food and beverage space Mm -hmm. and Memphis is so good about that like Mm -hmm. people a lot of people use you know local things in in what they're cooking Mm -hmm. so I think we I think Memphis is doing a pretty good job of that it's not always like farm to table you know the fancy (laughs) stuff but you know for us especially it's not farm to table Mm -hmm. for real but um you know we might use a local mustard or a a local honey Mm -hmm. you know get Mm -hmm. the beekeeper to come in and and talk to some folks sometimes and do a pop-up like Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, you just got to get creative with things. Definitely. Yeah. And you're <laughs> very creative. That is clear. I feel like you constantly, and you've mentioned it before, of just having so many ideas in your head. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so I'm curious when, you know, you do have these different ideas about, okay, here's where I'm going to dedicate a lot of my time in the mm. next season versus, okay, I'm going to have to pull back in this area. How yeah. do you balance that? I don't balance it. My staff does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to be 100% <laughs> honest. I love that honesty. If it, was, if it was up to me, yeah, I'd probably do all 15 things that I have in my notes right now. But that's crazy. So mm-hmm. luckily I have Virgos, if you want to get into Zodiacs <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, I have Virgos. My mommy is one too. So I'll throw one idea out to her and she's like, so when do you have time for that? Right. Okay, we're focus on this one and perfect this and then move on. So I've really learned to just perfect something before I move on. I don't want to be the Jane of all trades and like master of none. Mm-hmm. So I want to like get this correct and get it as perfect as possible. Perfection doesn't exist though. Right. So I'm very aware of that. Mm-hmm. I'll get it as close to it as possible and then I'm okay with moving on. Right. And I have somebody in place that can take over. It was very hard for me to move on and not just be the person even with the tours I was just getting into not doing the tours anymore Mm -hmm. I had started letting other you know letting all my guides that I I think I had three at the time um 
I would let them do it and be like, hey, we got two tours today. Y'all want to tackle that? So kind of stepping away right. is very hard, right. but it's necessary if you want to see that you have a successful company Mm -hmm. it's not really to me it's not a success if i'm in the kitchen every day Mm -hmm. that means i'm not teaching someone something Mm -hmm. i'm not someone's not learning something new they're not developing new skills right i'm leaving them in a box and i've never wanted to be left in a box so i would never do that to anybody else and as your team has grown like learning how to manage Mm -hmm. that and manage a larger team with such a wide variety of skill sets Mm -hmm. and strengths Mm -hmm. have you felt like you've been able to take people on very specifically for their skill sets and use that well or has that been more of a journey too yo it's definitely a journey but I love it though learning what someone is good at and Mm -hmm. letting them just kick it in that area and Mm -hmm. then show them something new has been what I'm doing right now um let's see for instance like chef Ranisha she's a train shift french mm-hmm. train shift working with feasting grays which is a blessing mm-hmm. uh because i can be creative all day but a technique is something that i don't master mm-hmm. because i didn't go to school to be a chef i went to school for marketing okay <laughs> <laughs> um but she you know i'll say hey what if we did um a garlic herb whipped goat cheese and oh. we're doing that i should have brought you some Uh, (laughs) sounds heavenly (laughs) and I'm like okay I think this and this would go good in there and I know what it would I know what it would pair well with you know but I might make it one way Mm -hmm. and then she makes it a different way and I'm like that actually works better and then we take her way of doing it making sure that we can still simplify it and strategize it you know to where anybody can do it so what we're doing now because we want to franchise it so what we're doing now is making sure that anything we do is something that a 16-year-old can do. Okay. Because mm-hmm. if they can do it, then that means that, you know, it, I don't want everything in there to be something like only a chef can do. Right. First of all, it's hard to even get a chef on your team because they're all working at, you know, the big full restaurants. Right. So that's not realistic for me. I have to get it to where it's something – I can make, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so don't, don't, you know, go in there talking about we finna blanch this and we're finna puree this. No. And da, 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 da. <laughs> how can I make it? So if I can make it, anybody can make it. That's, that's how we do it. And if I can follow your recipe, it's here to stay. And if mm-hmm. it's not, it was fun while it lasted, but right. it's got to go. Right. So just trying to figure out what those skills are for everybody. It could be front of house. It could be sales. Mm-hmm. You figure out what people are good at and you mm-hmm. let them. Just let them kick it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now having your storefront yeah. on South Main, mm-hmm. and how do you feel like that's changed your connection with the city and oh, yeah. with other other local business owners? Let me tell you, I never dreamed that I could actually do it. I think mm. I had, I entertained one conversation about it. Yeah. Because I just, I'm like, who? how can you afford a storefront? with a cheese board company. Right. You know, I, I don't sell wine, so I'm not a full running place. But throughout the years, this trend has just... I mean, taken it's, off. It's taken off to places it didn't even need to go. Let's just be clear. Because yeah. anything 
that people are doing, whether it's on TikTok or whatever, it it honestly helps, you know, the business. So right. <laughs> y'all do that, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but having a storefront has opened us up to so many more doors. It's almost like when we were just a delivery service, maybe we didn't seem as much of a legit business to some people, mm-hmm. but the storefront really legitimized us. Yeah, absolutely. So people walking by, oh, I've heard of that feasting graves mm-hmm. before, you know, or I've had it at a party before, and now they can see us because we were contactless for the past two years. Right. So it's like putting a face to a, a name for people now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've gotten a lot of corporate accounts from us being downtown, and that's helped tremendously. Catering, of course. Right. It's king. I mean, it, it really has helped get our name out there to hundreds of people way faster than we could have ever imagined. Yeah, that storefront, it it has been a big help. It's been a big curve and learning lesson mm-hmm. uh, going from just delivering to yeah. being open. And, you know, now we have sandwiches and mm-hmm. we have, you know, salads. It's been fun, though. And being a part of the Open Domain program, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't pay rent for a year. Wow. Wow. Like, stop and clap. I mean, that's crazy. That is. So it really allowed us to take some risk right. that if we were paying all these thousands of dollars in rent, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have taken. I would have been like, eh, let's just do what we know works instead right. of taking risk, figuring out some new stuff mm-hmm. and having some fun, doing some brunches and, right. you know, pop up shops and renting the space out. It's allowed us to really see what works, see what doesn't work. And without the stresses of finances Mm -hmm. so it's been it's been a a really nice ride to be honest Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's also with your brand and the connection I feel like you have to Mm -hmm. the city and with people and having a place where people can gather and you can Mm -hmm. host events and people can be like oh I actually went in there and got a sandwich and I want to use this as a venue for my baby shower yes you just have way too much fun at work mm -hmm. It, it we have so much fun. We play music, you know, outside. I love it. So people love that. We'll see people walking by. They'll be, you know, they'll be dancing, like walking down the street. And we'll be like, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love being down there. It's it's a lot of fun. And then, like, being, you know, we're next to McEwen's right. and Beignets. Uh, some of our like main friends, we call them now. We're like, oh, we're that. part of the downtown community. So <laughs> we go there sometimes. We go uh, Bar Dog. Mm-hmm. Love Bar Dog. Love Jesus. We got to stop loving Bar Dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, where else did we go? Oh, Masiel's Lord. Yes, we go there a lot too. Mm-hmm. I think that's very unique. Like that doesn't exist everywhere where you Mm-mm. can have those open lines of communication, that collaboration almost with other small businesses like Mm -hmm. that is pretty unique to Memphis oh it is it is for sure I can't think of one chef that I couldn't call and be like hey what you think about this Mm -hmm. without them you know being honest or I love when they come to the store and actually like eat our food like the food journalists and stuff Mm -hmm. come in I'm like I'll text them later we try not to stare at them like while they're eating I'm like was it good delicious you know or right. it was like my favorite meal this week or something yeah. I'm like oh okay we're, we're doing good we're doing good absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's that's so good I yeah mean, I feel like everywhere I look it's just people who have loved your products oh that's so loved good. what you've been doing in Memphis 
and now beyond Memphis too. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like with City Tasting Box? How do you yeah. feel like that Memphis kind of communicates in that form? Like how uh, people receive that? Has that been well received? It, it, yes, it's been so well received. Uh, we were very overwhelmed with it. How we thought, like you know, it would just be people here. Mm-hmm. Then you realize, well, it's people that are homesick. It's people who know that their daughter lives in Seattle now, so Mm -hmm. they're going to send her a box of goodies, you know, um, because they know that she loves Memphis. Or we had people for a while, too, just saying, you know, every time I come to Memphis, we eat so much good food, and they were just buying it. They didn't live in Memphis at all. They just loved the city so much and our food that they just wanted to buy something else Mm -hmm. you know from memphis so yeah giving people that taste of memphis all over the country i don't have words for that because i don't i I just never thought that that would even be something that i would be doing and just knowing how that's helped so many of our vendors Mm -hmm. continue to expand and continue to like have that hope that what they are doing and what they are putting out is good stuff Right, that's so validating. Yeah, the gratification of it is just, uh, it's, it's so good. It's mm-hmm. just so good picking up the products, like, you know, or calling them and being like, you know, we need 200 bags of popcorn, girl. Like, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, we love that, <laughs> you know, um, doing that kind of stuff and, and getting in Forbes. You know, it wasn't just me and Lisa mm-hmm. that were featured. It was everybody. Like, right. oh, I think 2021, yeah. Lots of tears. Just mm-hmm. joy, though. Mm-hmm. Joy. Because we just, we didn't know where that was going to take us. And then when we got a glimpse of it, that's all we needed was a glimpse of, like, oh, okay, we can really do this right. and, you know, help a lot of people and help ourselves with entrepreneurship. It's been good stuff with that. It. Yeah. It's been good stuff. And yeah. y'all have had quite the 2022 (laughs) yeah yeah seriously I saw um what y'all posted on Instagram of a highlight of all the boxes the grazing tables I mean thousands thousands and for people you know thinking back and thinking about people who were maybe like how are you gonna open a storefront Mm -hmm. selling cheese boards Mm -hmm. and it's like well here are the numbers exactly Mm -hmm. exactly okay what I am doing is it is very different and I do need to be more um you know out there with what I'm doing mm-hmm. so with it a lot of women reached out and they started this group called black girls or brown girls cheese that's what it is on Instagram and we all got together they started this long thread and um y'all shared you know our struggles our challenges our successes our triumphs joys whatever and a lot of them started during COVID because mm-hmm. they didn't have a job anymore. Mm-hmm. So me sharing some of the things that I've learned with them right. has helped a lot of them, you know, continue. And two of them have storefronts now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's, it's just so cool. And I mean, I'm the last one on the yeah. <laughs> I was like I started before all of them. And I was just like, I'm not doing that, y'all. Storefront. We're, we're already doing thousands in deliveries. A storefront sounded crazy. Right. But when you have people you can reach out to, mm-hmm. it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now that we do have the storefront, and um, I, I told one of the girls, I said, are you going to do your 2022 20, numbers? And yeah. she was like, it's insane what we've done this year. 
And I was like, okay, you post, I post. I we'll both that. do it. Good. And um, we posted and we were just like, that's why we're tired. <laughs> this is why we're tired. But it all makes sense. Yeah, it all makes <laughs> sense now why we are tired. Right. But it was also inspirational to people. They're like, oh, so that hobby that I just picked up can actually be a business. It can right. really work. Right. You just got to know what to do. You got to know what you're doing, you know? Yeah, we, we've been doing a lot of talking about how can we help people mm-hmm. outside of cheese board making. You know, mm-hmm. making the cheese boards is what everybody's doing now, like cheese board classes. But we're like, no, we need to show people how to show these women, like, you can do this, mm-hmm. you know? And and it can be fun, mm-hmm. and it, it will be stressful because it is a business. But right. we can really show y'all how to make it successful because we've done a really good job of it. And we've already done all the mistakes, mm-hmm. lots of those, mm-hmm. but a lot of learning, a lot of learning, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and just help other people with this because it's definitely a new avenue, right, in the food and beverage industry. And I appreciate, you know, shout out to the Memphis chefs who like treat me like another. They don't see it like, oh, she's not a chef, so she's mm-hmm. not someone to respect. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them really do love what I'm doing and they support what I'm doing just like I support what they're doing Absolutely. and I I love that about the the Memphis scene for sure we we show each other a lot of love versus mm-hmm. hating on each other kind of thing right yeah. that support is goes such a long way as a small business owner mm-hmm. and we as someone got. who <laughs> absolutely <laughs> if we can't love each other like who's gonna love us and, you know yeah and have that level of understanding yes. that you do for other people in that space for mm-hmm. sure um and i saw for february you guys launched a new <laughs> yeah. collection <laughs> yeah i've been wanting to do it for a while now i've been wanting to do it outside of just valentine's day because i'm yeah. such a love 365 person amazing like, you can send me a cheese board any day of the week and i'm gonna Absolutely. love you it doesn't just have to be valentine's day so we've launched the sweet and spicy love box <laughs> <laughs> so we we've done three um, so we have the for him, for her, and for them. Mm-hmm. And that way it, it covers, you know, everybody is, is uh, inclusive uh, to everyone. And it gives you a variety of what you might want. I wanted to make sure I made something that still was beautiful and still, mm-hmm. you know, gave them what they needed. So I, I showed it to the folks at Beignets. I showed it to the, the guys at Bardog, um, our maintenance man, my husband. Amazing. Like, yeah, so they got to eat a free cheese board, of course. So, <laughs> of course. yeah, they were all like, oh, yeah, this is nice. And a lot of them were like, it's so pretty. <laughs> so I was like, yes, you know, that's that was the response I wanted. Good. So, yeah, we have, we have all the – we have three different boxes now, and they have sweet things in them, spicy things in them. And it's, you know, but we're launching it. For Valentine's Day, but right. it's going to be a year-round thing. Oh, amazing. I'm yeah, so, so glad it's sticking it. around. Yes, yes. Oh. That's what I'm most excited about is that we can do this, you know, for anniversaries and um, the Galentines and the yes. self-love, you know, because yeah. I love myself. You can go get one for I, yourself. I want one for yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Christina, it's been so great chatting with you yes, today. Yes, this is fun. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Well, Cisco, hey, welcome back to Southern Trace Podcast. How are you doing, Kit? Thanks I'm doing for having well. me back. Yes, of course, of course. Um, 
I'm excited to dive into some more of your offerings today, a little bit different from what we had you on to chat about in January. Yeah, yeah. This stuff actually has alcohol in it. There so we go. Back to what I'm used to. But that was a, a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go back and learn about the sober, curious stuff that we have going on. Absolutely. And there's a lot to learn. That is for sure. So first, I know we wanted to chat about um, an event you have coming up in March, if you want to tell us more about that. Yeah. So I, I, I really was happy to tell you everything about it. <laughs> um, it's called Vinified Italy. We put it on, the tickets on sale last Friday and they sold out yesterday. So Unreal. I, I don't want to tease anybody too much <laughs> about this, but it's it's definitely, uh, we'll have more events coming up in the future, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a, an event that has 60 plus Italian wines all at Tamboli's in, on Madison in Midtown, uh, which is a, a great venue for it, I think. And um, that'll just be the beginning of our new Vinified tasting series that we'll be doing. So yeah, be on the lookout for future events to come. Yeah. And a good to know now that you have to get those tickets early. Yeah. Get them quick. Yeah. So with February Valentine's Day coming up, a lot of people are going to be making their trips to the liquor store, um, stocking up on wine, bubbly, all the things in between. Um, and Cisco brought with him some beautiful bottles that I'm excited <laughs> to hear more about today. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm the only person who brings the props to the <laughs> podcast, but these are definitely, we'll have to post pictures of them because they are beautiful labels, but even mm-hmm. more beautiful wines. Um, yeah, so Valentine's Day is is awesome uh, because it, it gives you an opportunity to connect with your significant other and, and put some time for yourselves. And sometimes people go to restaurants and that's, that's great. I definitely support that. Um, but sometimes the restaurants are you know, they get overwhelmed by people at uh, on Valentine's Day. So Absolutely. I think support restaurants every opportunity you get. Uh, go go out to your local restaurants. Valentine's Day can be crazy sometimes, so you don't always get the um, the best representation of that restaurant that day. It's usually a prefix menu, and um, usually there's some decent wine, and and that's awesome. We uh, we usually will put together a Memphis box with uh, with Rachel's flowers and. Muddy's chocolates and restaurant iris and you get you do all that uh with some wine we've done that in years past with iris reopening this year Mm -hmm. we haven't uh they haven't gotten all the way ready for for that type of thing yet so look for that next year maybe but um but it's something so for this year go out and grab yourself something to cook at home or grab some to go so so i've i've talked about um the wines that we talk about i have some recommendations for where you should grab some to-go food I for. I love it. So yeah. we're going to hear about some really great wines and, you know, what you can enjoy with those. Yeah. So, of, co- of course, you have to start with bubbly. Of course. people don't drink enough bubbly. That's just the truth. Like, you should be drinking bubbly just like you should be supporting your regular restaurants all the time um, because it's just fun. It makes things more fun. It's lifting uh, just like the bubbles inside. So, so festive. So festive. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, how much bubbly did you drink during the holidays? Oh, man. Well, I feel like it's honestly the only time I really drink it is around Christmas, New Year's, and then at a wedding or a significant celebration like that, you know? Yeah, which I, I think it does make the celebration even more special. But mm-hmm. you then take that logic and put it on like a regular Wednesday. And you're like, oh, wait, I could just make Wednesday awesome with a bottle of bubbly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly, too, so many great cocktails are include a great bottle of bubbly too yeah do you have one that you like 
Um, I love a French 75. Okay, yes. Which French, is a classic. French but 75 is absolute classic. That's great. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to go Negroni Spagliato <laughs> with Prosecco. Stunning. <laughs> Stunning. So uh, no Prosecco here, but we have Champagne and Pet Nat to talk about. So the, uh, the first one that we'll talk about is the Marie Corton Resonance, uh, which means earth and sky. Marie Corton uh, is a grower champagne. Um, do you know a, what a grower champagne is? I don't. Okay. So it'd be like if if you grew grapes in champagne and you sold them to Veuve Clicquot or Moet mm-hmm. and you did that forever and, and they just bought the grapes and they made the wine and, um, and sold it and did all the marketing and stuff. Well, this is like you decide like, well, I know how to make champagne i know what it tastes like i know what the good stuff tastes like these grapes that i make go into that stuff i can do this so the growers are the ones that are this bottle comes from somebody who is actually growing the grapes for champagne on their uh on their property and um this one is from dominique moreau Mm -hmm. she is she's the grower and the producer here's the cheat code so if you go into a, a wine shop such as joe's and you you're like, how do I know wh- what a grower champagne is? They right. don't have signs that say it. They, it, um, But there is a little sign here on the label. It says RM, which is Recoltant Manipulant. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like a French cheat code. So you can figure out that it's a grower champagne. Wait, that's so good to know. It's very small in the bottom right-hand <laughs> corner. But now, I mean, if you know what to look for, it's right there. Yeah, and some of them say it on the front. But okay. you, re- you do have to, it's really small. You always have to find it, like put your reading glasses on or something <laughs> like that if you need those. But the um, this is a great wine. It's made from 100% uh, Pinot Noir. It's vintage dated, um, and, it's, and it's extra brute. So, oh. you know, like uh, with champagne, it's like there's dry and then there's extra dry. Extra dry is actually not sweeter, is not drier than brute. Uh, brute is the dry. Brute used to be the driest. Now there's extra brute where they're saying we're not adding any additional sugar or dosage to the wine. Wow. So this is, um, this is something that if you're cooking at home, and you're like, I want to get a lobster from Fresh Market. Mm-hmm. Grab a couple tails and just douse them in all the butter you can find. Perfect. And pour up a couple glasses of this because it's got like this awesome minerality and acidity that cuts through that fat. Wow. Okay. Yum. So Good that's to know great. about the grower wine. Yes. Um, then going on to Pet Nat. Okay. So Pet Nat is uh, Petulant Natural, which uh, is a natural style of sparkling wine. Okay. So they call it Method Ancestral. This one is from Vino Volta. It's actually, uh, it's Australian from the Swan Valley in Western Australia. Okay. Most wine comes from Southeastern Australia, but this comes from uh, Western Australia. The way that this wine is made is closer to the way that sparkling wine was accidentally discovered in the first place, oh. where the wine, uh, the juice is placed inside the bottle and um, and the, the yeast make the bubbles out of it but there's not a they don't add more yeast they don't add a dosage they don't do a secondary fermentation um it's most of the the fun stuff happens in the bottle so you'll pour this up and it'll have some sediment and stuff going on oh i love that that's so cool have you ever poured a bottle out and had like Mm -hmm. some stuff that looks kind of gunky going out of it absolutely okay that's you think for a second it does make you think (laughs) 
that's some of that stuff is is totally fine. You you can drink it or you can let it settle down or and not drink it. What? But it's not going to hurt you. It's just natural stuff like yeast and uh, and grape pumice and stuff. Got it. And I noticed that these are bottled differently. Um, so what is the difference between having something like this on top versus the traditional cork that you see? Great question. So the this is like a, a beer bottle cap on top of right. this. Um, the reason is because there's because of the method that they've used to ferment it. This is a lot less pressure inside the bottle. So you just pop the cap off of this. It's still bubbly, but it's not the same as when you when you pop a cork out of a champagne bottle right. and it's like it's trying to get out. Right. You're scared you might injure someone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could do a whole podcast about how to safely open champagne and savor champagne and all that. Um, but yeah, don't savor bottles of pet nat. Savor your champagnes um, because the way that the pressure helps with that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this is like, this is a rosé. So we picked rosé because uh, obviously it's super fun for Valentine's Day to go with the theme and it's it's fruity, it has like mulberry, raspberry, but still has uh, some of the creaminess that you find in uh, sparkling wine. Oh, I love that. That sounds so good. Yeah, uh, I drank that last night actually with India Palace. We did like a big spread oh, of India Palace. Yeah. Um, and the the heat, if you're into that, mm -hmm. the, um, the bubbly, like s the bubbles like scrub your palate and make it to where the the heat doesn't keep building up. It's like scrubbed away. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That is great to know. Yeah. Um, okay. Next time I get Thai, I'm definitely going to. Yes. Yeah. 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 Any, any Thai, like if you find Vietnamese, like anything mm -hmm. you like spicy, that's a, um, sparkling wine is a great pairing. Fried chicken. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Gus's. So, yeah. Not what I, maybe next time I go to Gus's, I'll just bring a bottle of champagne see what happens. You, uh, you would join my club in that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good play. Amazing. They sell bottles of Vuv at Gus's. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Wow, it's maybe. A, it's balling for sure, but like definitely <laughs> like above what I would drink in there probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, the of course, if you don't want to do bubbly, there's mm -hmm. there's a plenty of awesome still wines to talk about. Um, we have, of course, red wine. People love reds. Yes. Do you like red? Love. My favorite, for okay. sure. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask. All right, good. Yeah, so red is uh, is omnipresent, and you, you find stuff from all over the world. We have a red from Mount Etna on the island of Sicily. Uh, this is E. Custodi, their Etna Rosso. Um, you might find this on the wine list at um, Catherine and Mary's downtown um, or uh, at some other place, but we, of course, carry it. Um, talking about prices, of course, mm -hmm. uh, before I forget to mention that, this one's forty three ninety nine. The ones we talked about before, mm -hmm. uh, the Marie Corton Champagne is sixty ninety nine. the Vino Volta uh Grenache Rosé Pet Nat is thirty ninety nine. Okay. Um, and so then, so this Etna Rosé. Okay. Did you, um, did you watch any of White Lotus? All of it. Okay. Great. <laughs> so this is from Sicily, the island that that um, show is filmed on. Amazing. So you like, there's there's scenes filmed. I, when I'm watching, I'm like, what winery are they at? I have to know. Oh my gosh, the iconic scene with yeah. the four of them at the. You, we have to know. We have I know, to know. I know because I want to drink that wine. I don't want to recreate that, but I want. I want to. The, the Not the vibes, part. just no. the wine. Yes. Yeah. 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 The the wine is vibes enough for me for sure. So uh, yeah. So the, this is from Mount Etna. So they don't actually mm. visit Etna, but you see it erupting in the background constantly. Yes. Okay. So this is like the di the differences are like 
it's higher elevation. So it goes from like mm-hmm. cold to warm very quickly, unlike island Sicily, where it's very temperate, Mediterranean. And also it's like growing wine on the moon. That's basically what it's like with the volcanic pumice and everything. Wow. Okay. So it's, so it's the soil is volcanic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and the the word prized lava flows comes to mind when you're talking about Etna wines, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that is just crazy. I didn't know the real estate was like that. Wow, okay, very cool. Yeah, um, so this is, uh, this has been six years in a bottle. Their current vintage is 2015, so it's because they really care about making sure their wine is ready to drink when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it's an all-natural wine producer, uh, they're, the grapes that they're using are Norello Mascalesi, Norello Cappuccio, and uh, Alicante. Norello Cappuccio, which kind of sounds like cappuccino, mm-hmm. uh, is what makes this grape, makes this wine awesome for like a chocolate pairing or something like that. Oh, I love that. Okay. It would be great with um, with some Italian from Tamboli's or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like a red sauce pasta would be great. But if you were really... Like, I want to make this an awesome Valentine's pairing. Like, grab some chocolates from Philip Ashley, mm-hmm. um, who was just James Beard Award nominated. Incredible. Did you see that? No. That's pretty awesome. So, another Memphian nominated for a James Beard Award. Unreal. Um, and so, pair it with some of his chocolates, and I think you're going to have a really awesome time. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm whenever I do have some red wine if i'm not enjoying it with italian food chocolate definitely comes to mind for sure yeah yeah i the the dinner that's the best part you can have this with dinner right and then go right to dessert same wine exactly love that okay so then we have uh martha stoneman post flirtation rosé obviously a great name for a valentine's wine unreal it's so good (laughs) um it she's a a really awesome natural wine producer out of california Mm -hmm. this wine comes from the sierra nevada foothills and from mendocino county it's it's actually 88 percent zinfandel 12 percent vermentino which is an italian grape variety oh amazing is that a unusual pairing or it's super unusual oh cool literally never seen it ever wow (laughs) so yeah, it makes for a great balance in the wine because um, the obviously the Vermentino is a white wine, um, mm-hmm. something that I love. We sell some of that, but like the Zinfandel, obviously much more prominent, and they uh, they actually do skin contact with both the wines, and I think that's why it's called post flirtation. Why you see yeah. the the two people on the label having skin contact is because the white and the red both see they press the grapes right and that's how you get the color you leave the juice on the skins of the grapes and so they did that with the white and the red oh wow i love understanding a little bit more about what (laughs) a pretty label actually means yeah yeah it's it gets deep sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and what was the price of this bottle that one is 30.99 oh amazing yeah it's uh it's actually on sale right now which is great love that um and then there so for the white wine drinkers what what just give me your thoughts on Chardonnay as a whole before we talk about I Chardonnay. think butter. <laughs> yeah. I think uh really cold, like drinking it really, really cold yeah. when I'm really warm. Yes. I don't gravitate towards it in February Perfect. personally. Okay, that's great. I uh I, those those are the nicest words people have said about Chardonnay recently. <laughs> the <laughs> this is a Chardonnay called the Electric Chardonnay Acid Test. Uh, it's from a 
brand called Brand because they're the Brand Brothers. Perfect. Yeah, perfectly confusing. Um, it's got the most psychedelic label that we've had in quite a while. Um, but the one of the cool things is, and it's from Von Boden, who is a, a fun producer uh, bringing us German wines. Um, so this is not California Chardonnay. This is old world German Chardonnay, but they've actually added Riesling to it. Oh, okay. Um, so that's the part where I should have asked you, what do you think about when you think about Riesling, Kit? I think sweet and maybe not for me. Okay, great. <laughs> this is the this is like the perfect uh, preconception buster of a wine because Riesling, when, when I think about it, is like uh, mineral driven and usually drier. We, we, sell Ries- we sell a bunch of Riesling, but mm-hmm. usually it's, we, be- we have very few sweet ones yes it's fruity but it's got it's got this awesome acidity to balance it out and then minerality that's what's going on here that's why it's called electric chardonnay acid test is because it's got there's it's all stainless steel so there's no oak involved wow okay so so like it skips the it doesn't see malolactic fermentation which is the butter thing going on got it um and then it also is stainless steel so it doesn't get the oaky vanilla thing going on and it's like drinking a glass of this the first sip is like sticking your finger in a light socket (laughs) whoa okay we might need to open this right now i'm so curious (laughs) i know it's super fun it's definitely i don't know these are all fun but it's this is like the most uh the most exhilarating one like we've had we have people on the staff who aren't big white wine drinkers and tried this and we're like instantly just polarized towards it and they were like we we want more we need to sell this we need to get this to as many people wow okay that's so interesting because i feel like white wine and chardonnay specifically can be polarizing for sure but and so what would you pair this with food wise so this can this can do a lot of the things we were talking about with uh with spicy foods Mm -hmm. i would i first say it's it's only 19.99 so it's super affordable amazing um and then I would go to maybe like go to Tuyin's, which is the um, the old Saigon Lee. So one of the sisters that ran Saigon Lee. Did oh, you ever amazing! Eat there? No, but okay. I've heard. All right, I grew yeah. So I grew up with with like a Sunday Saigon Lee spread at the house of just like all the to go stuff open, and you just like it's a family meal type of thing. Yes. Um, I wasn't drinking wine then, but uh, my parents were. They were drinking Chardonnay, actually, but it didn't taste like this. And yeah. I think this would be an awesome pairing with, with that because there's there's fats and there's uh, there's noodles and starches and mm-hmm. and spice and it's all like that goes really well with that. Oh, good. Okay, uh, wow. And if you are like, hey, I maybe do I want to drink it or do I want to give an awesome gift? For sure. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I, that, there are so many other things you could go with, but I think that this is a really great uh, segment that would, that would be a really good Valentine's Day. Yeah, absolutely. And covered such a wide variety of pairings, too. So if you are going the takeout route for Valentine's Day, like, or any other day, or, you know, just a weeknight, it's so good to know that you know, I can pair a bubbly with some fried chicken and, and some hot chicken, and it's going to help me out a little bit. Yeah, it's going to help you out a lot. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for walking us through all that. For sure. Thanks. If you have any questions, let me know. Yeah, and keep an eye out for future events with Joe's Wines and Liquors. Be sure to get on those ticket sales really fast. Yeah, they go quick now. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Kit. This is fun. Yeah, really fun. All right, cheers. Cheers.
And don't go anywhere. We will change the mood a bit in our third interview with founder and owner of LP3 Builders, Lorenas Petrauskas, who also goes by LP. LP is joined by another local builder, Lester Walton. These guys both have a fascinating story that speaks to what it means to literally build your local community. Stick around for their conversation, a truly inspiring dialogue about growing together locally through creativity and collaboration. We are celebrating local businesses with a guest who specializes in collaborative local development. The design build team of LP3, based in Memphis, does not only work in a traditional contracting capacity with lots of happy interior designers, homeowners, and businesses, they also seek out collaborative forms of development. The founder and owner of LP3 is Lorenas Petraskis, or as his friends call him, LP. He is a native of Lithuania who moved to Memphis as a teenager, which makes him all that more interesting to talk to today. Joining LP is one of the University of Memphis students who participated in the firm's most recent collaboration with University of Memphis. Lester Walton was a second-year architecture student when LP approached Michael Hagee, the chairman of the architecture program at University of Memphis about collaborating with some students on a project near campus in the Normal Station neighborhood. LP, thank you for joining us today. And Lester, we want to get to know you as well. So who wants to go first? <laughs> thank you for having me, Christian. <laughs> um, I'm glad to be here and share a little bit about what we do. Um, Lester, can uh, you give us a little bit of background on how you and LP met uh yes um we met during my second uh year at university of memphis and um i kind of met lp like outside of the school and so to speak because we would have critiques in class and then i would come uh, lp was willing to sit with me after class and also critique my work as well and trying to being with him being so as experienced as he is he was able to give me a lot of great insight on like what a home should look like and what what's what's his take on everything so he was great on that. Now, I might be hopping around a little bit, but I kind of want to know a little bit about how LP3 came into being, because as you said, we all know he is an experienced contractor with a, a lot of background. Did you learn your trade in school? Did you learn it working with a mentor? What is your school and work background leading up to the formation of LP3? Well, I've graduated White Station High School in 08, um, and after finishing high school, I went and became an airplane mechanic. However, soon after, I realized that uh, building was probably my more passionate, I was more passionate about buildings and renovations, and I bought my first flip, um, flip home in 2011 just slowly you know redid us uh, a small house two bed one bath house renovated it and sold it and i was hooked from then on you know flips became additions um new builds and then even infill development everyone listening is definitely wondering how you got to memphis 
from Lithuania? Um, <laughs> I, I would guess I'm just another American dream <laughs> chaser. Uh, my father moved to Memphis 26 years ago. I came uh, when I was 13, 20 years ago, 33 now, um, and mostly spent my time in Memphis and have grown to love Memphis and, and just see a tremendous opportunity here. Well, you have accomplished a lot for age 33. Lester is, he's a pretty young guy as well, mm -hmm. but I think he's done a lot for his age. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, um, great to be here once again. Thank you so much for having me in MP. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I grew up um, in Memphis, Tennessee, the northern part, uh, in the Raleigh Frazier area, in this low income neighborhood. And um, just going about life as any common um, young child from the environment, just trying to see what, what do you want to do in life. So that brought me to the University of Memphis. Um, and I always knew I wanted to do something with building, but I didn't know what particularly. So what I did was I went to Southwest for a couple of years, because it was like a program going on where the first two years were free at Southwest. And that brought me over to the University of Memphis in the architecture program, because that's what I took at Southwest as well. And with being in the architecture program, I started, it's a lot of hands-on work and a lot of tedious work and a lot of hours that you have to spend as an architecture student. and. One of the great things about University of Memphis Architects program is you get to work with real clients, such as LP himself. And LP, and I, I would say, if I had to pick a defining moment in my um, academic career, it would have been when I met LP. Because from then, I, like I, um, we was we was we would critique be critiqued in class, but LP was willing to talk to me after class, as well and give insights on projects we were working on. And, um, and that kind of opened my mind up to like, well, that, I, wanted that, I want that to be my career as well, because LP then took me in as a mentor and started to teach me everything, you know, and he held back nothing. I mean, it was, it was great. Uh, and right now, this is where I'm at today. <laughs> okay. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I do think you were doing some house renovations when, when we first met, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and you still you still got you still working on that, and now I think uh, you're again graduating to building new homes mm -hmm. too. Yes. Again, infill development and Roselle Ansdale mm -hmm. is one of them. What other neighborhoods are you doing? Um, so the the Ra the Raleigh area over off James Road. Uh, it's pretty. They got like a lot of development going on right there as well, especially on Highland. They okay. got like a new projects going down, and also. The Rodney Barber Park, where the new Fraser Library is okay. coming. I own lots in that area, and that's where I've been building. That's where my next project is. But so Rod you've you've acquired lots, and yes. you've designed homes yes. to go on these lots, and you're in the process of actually building and infilling these lots. Correct. Yes, yes absolutely. See, were you an artist? As uh, both of y'all must have mm -hmm. had an interest in art. Don't you have to be an artist to be in architecture and development? I. So, is that some some people think that some people actually think you have to have sort some sort of artist mindset but honestly you can be just the person who fell in love with a uh, craft like craft and woodwork and uh i guess so it's a artist is a more broader term i guess and architecture would be more uh, more, more detailed i would say yes so you have to have some sort of artistic mindset if i would say yes of course you said you were an air 
airplane engineer? Mechanic. Mechanic. So, <laughs> so right out right out of high school, the the quick and easy ticket for me that I thought I'd enjoy doing. I loved aviation, so my first step is just go to Tennessee Tech and became a licensed airplane mechanic. It's hands-on, you know, working on you know, jet engines and airplanes and avionics and all that stuff. And it was very technical and very engaging, hands-on. I think that that's what I enjoyed about it. However, after graduating, I quickly realized that I think my, my talents would probably be better invested in real estate. As you know, 2011, we were coming out of the 08 crash. I think there were still a lot of great deals to be had back in 2011 that I purchased and, you know, fixed up, renovated, and resold for a little bit of profit. But, you know, that's how I got going. Um, and that was a part-time thing at first, one house at a time, and slowly, just gradually built up. So what what was the original mission of LP3? What were your goals and was collaboration and mentoring up-and-coming students like Lester, was that an original Well, plan? just kind of starting getting in this business myself and learning a lot of lessons myself. If I have an opportunity to share any insights with anybody, I am all for it. I'm happy to to share my contacts, my opinions, you know, just, and collaborate, you know. It's, it's you know, real estate, investing in real estate, you know, development. I mean, it's, it takes a lot to learn and to, to kind of understand the whole process. So, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, hey, how, how did this come about? I'm, I'm always open. Because you've uh, been there. I've been there, yes, <laughs> been there, done that, and you know, if if somebody could have mentored me when I, you know, back ten, twelve years ago, I would have gladly taken some advice. So, did you always envision building homes in perhaps even neglected neighborhoods as a means of renewal and improving the local community? You really have a, uh, you clearly have a. A desire to give back to your community I can see that and that would definitely be something I want to hear from you also Lester about that because you were describing growing up and wondering how to elevate your situation and finding this as a means to do so um I mean I think I've always enjoyed city infill um, I love the, the core of the city the city of Memphis and all the amenities that we have here and just seeing the potential in some of these empty lots um, in the neighborhoods that they're they're great they just maybe haven't seen as much attention as other neighborhoods and going in and doing a unique home a unique design and building a a cool house sometimes really help helps to spark the reinvestment in it and so Lester you were talking about um, your upbringing your childhood and how you were looking you know, what careers would fit best what motivated you to choose architecture my number one motivation was my family just growing up and having problems like any family will have just 
stupid, low income, just not enough like opportunity, just around. But and just just getting out there and just seeing was one one of my biggest motivations was me when me and my family would like ride to Germantown or Cordova and see the nice houses and uh, the quarter million dollar to a million dollar houses and coming back to the neighborhood kind of make made you feel like a sense of one, like it is more out there than what. My, when I'm surrounded by it. Um, do you have a certain style of development, architecture, and that you gravitate towards? Absolutely, contemporary modern. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's what. Um, oh, I respect all the styles. I respect the historic styles, uh, the traditional styles, but contemporary modern is more my take because it just added some sort of flair to a neighborhood that most neighborhoods do not have, unless you just, unless it's just a. Um, a detached, detached from the inner city and just placed in somewhere, you don't really see that in the inner city. So contemporary moderns is the style I'll always be with. How do you blend that contemporary modern into an area that has you know, an older look, traditional, anyway, and, and when you're blending it into an area that doesn't already have that present, how do you do that? Is it with materials or, or what's your process for doing that? Yes, it, it goes down to materials, roof lines, like gables. It's, it's all about taking the context of the neighborhood. So you're not just, especially when you're building in these neighborhoods, you don't want it to just look like you just did some, just placed it here. One thing that LP is very great in is he actually, he was willing to talk and actually talk to the neighborhood. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people come in, they buy the lot, it's my lot, I own it, I do what I want. Not LP. He comes in action to talks with the neighbors. He um, invests his time in the meetings. He provides refreshments for the meetings, and he's very easy to talk to. So, but when you're building in these neighborhoods, one thing LP does well, he pulls from the context of the neighborhood. So, if he see if his houses using double gables, he'll implement double gables. He'll implement the materials. He's not messing with. He's not trying to come and take over anything at all. He's respecting what's already there and implementing it with a more creative style so to speak yes but i do think i'll add to that um i think it's important to be respectful of the existing neighborhood but also try not to copy the buildings that are there you know if we have an opportunity if we have a lot that's up for infill i mean we need to build a house today what a house today needs to be and needs to look yes we pull in some forms and structures and we use materials bricks siding um, to complement the existing homes but i think part of the contemporary feel is we still want to build a house today that what we at least think uh, a modern day house should look like and live in like you know that's the arrangement of you know, floor plans and, and such. Can you describe the most recent uh, normal station and maybe name any other players? Like, can you describe it visually? I think you may have touched on that by just now by describing how you bring modern into a traditional neighborhood, but maybe specifically normal station where there's some challenges there that you hadn't experienced before. Um. So... In 2019-2020, we ran into this uh, property for sale uh, on a street named Carnes, 
It was uh, an existing farmhouse or Victorian-style house. I don't know how you describe yeah. the style of the house, but it's a beautiful home that actually had a, uh, a huge backyard for Memphis you know, neighborhood standards. It was about almost an acre of a lot. And the challenge was, was you know, um, what do you do with all that land? There was a lot of potential in there. And, you know, at the time I was working with Jason Jackson at BRG3S. And we... Is we, he an architect? He is an architect um, at, with BRG3S. And, you know, we, we just started to brainstorm, you know. The, we collaborated with the neighbors in the area and got their feedback. To them, the... Uh, what I took away was the most important thing is to preserve the existing home. It's about 110 years old, you know, 1910 uh, existing house that they did not want to lose. And then the challenge was, okay, how do we access the backyard and how do we build something there that makes sense and, and works? And it's in some ways it may be contrasting to see an old house in the front and some new modern structures in the back that, you know, Lester and I, we co all collaborated in the university. But I think it's unique and it's, it gives you a perspective of a house built in 2022 and a house built in 1910, you know. So what do you all know the history? I'm sure you do of Normal Station. It's an unusual name for a neighborhood. What does that uh, speak to? It, was there a train station? I maybe? believe there was uh, originally a, a train stop called Normal mm -hmm. Station, mm -hmm. and that's how the neighborhood grew around it. Um, I'm not sure of the pattern, how it grew, but it is, it is a very unique neighborhood mm -hmm. to me. It's got some 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 flair of midtown and it's got some flair of east memphis mm. I, I i don't think we've already mentioned this you actually designed one of the homes yes. yourself mm. as a student yes that's impressive <laughs> yes me and uh the um, me and my classmates i won't mention them all right now but i'm, I'm not <laughs> going to do it but uh shout out to my classmates class of <laughs> spring 2022 Tw uh but we were um it was 16 of us and it was six lots so each one of us like had a lot and we had to design for that lot itself, yes. Did you have a, a revelation that really taught you something along the way that mm -hmm. you wouldn't have learned just in a classroom? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you really need to do this this way, mm -hmm. even though the textbook says that? Yes. Like, was there absolutely, absolutely. So one thing was, was I want to go back to was working with a client, LP actually being a client that we can talk, we, we're talking to, and something – not only working with a client, also because you work with clients in school all the time, but you don't actually see your stuff built. And that was the beautiful part about it, just seeing it built. And like now knowing that it's built, you it's something in the back of your mind telling it, this has to be something that I want to see. Like actually, like this is something I want to build. And that gives you, you have a more passion, you're more passionate for it than when you're just, when you're just designing, so to speak. And is that, that's unique about University of Memphis? Yes, you feel yes. like they do give a lot of opportunities to move from the textbook into the community? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I love it about the University of Memphis, especially the Department of Architecture and our professors. Uh, I think our professors that year were Michael Hagee, which is the chairman of the department, and Andrew Parks. He works at Archimania. And they've done a wonderful job in uh, 
just going out and actually fi- finding the client and saying, let's give these students some real life experience, something that they can, this will be with them forever. Like they can always pull from this and bring it into whatever they're doing. So. LP, do you have any former projects you might like to mention? I know on the way in the door today, you pointed to one building and you said, hey, I built that. <laughs> so are there any you'd like to bring attention to that kind of fall in line with this concept of collaborating with the community in addition to your um, traditional business? Well, the, the building that we were just sheltered for a little bit is <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Young Avenue. Um, it was, uh, it was a, I think it was a great infill project for Cooper Young. It's a five attached townhome that is a modern d- design, but it also gives a nod to the neighborhood. We worked with Cooper Young in the exterior facade and using reclaimed brick on the exterior to, to, to blend in as well as create a modern new space, living space. I think what I look out for is anchors, what we call in the city, anchor points such as, you know, we have Cooper Young, we have uh, the Liberty Park, you know, the event center coming in. I think those are attractors that bring people in. And if we can redevelop the lots, the empty lots and the neighborhoods around those and improve them, I mean, I think that's a that's a plus. Carnes, you know, University Village, that, that development we did with Lester, I mean, that's also a no-brainer. You have the university, you have Highland Row, which is com- you know, coming up, all the little commercial strip. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great neighborhood, and it's, it's really walking distance mm-hmm. to, to University and Highland Row. Mm-hmm. So why not infill that land and make it you know, nice and useful, livable? So, Lester, from your unique perspective here, how did collaborating with LP on the Carn Station development, how did it influence your work as a student and a career choice? I, I know that you had already chosen that mm-hmm. career, but do you have a different uh, mission, if you will, for your professional life as a result of y'all's collaboration? Having that real-world experience kind of like open my eyes up and be like, I enjoyed it so much, I want them. Yeah, this is what I can do for the rest of my life. Uh, they say, you know you're passionate about something you don't need to get paid for. <laughs> and like, um, that, that's that's great, but great part is you do get paid for it. So you able, I'm, I was able to um, pull from that experience, like I'm saying, working with a real client and just putting it in my day-to-day life. And also just the, I fell in love with networking as well, just getting to know the players and all the pieces that come together to start a development or create a home or build a home or design a home, whatever it may be. At the university and collaboration and LP, my mentor has um, has assisted me in that as well. Yes. So LP, yours is an um, inspiring story and an approach to local revitalization. I think it's clear that you and your team and the businesses and organizations that you choose to collaborate with are successfully striking a good balance with the approach to local development by breathing new life into neighborhoods in need of renewal, while also preserving the personality and qualities currently enjoyed in that neighborhood. So thank you for telling your story and thank you, Lester, as well. Um, Y'all have given us a bit of insight into the projects that we all drive by quickly and have no idea the amount of local collaboration and research and preparation, and not to mention heart and hard work 
that have gone into some of these developments. In closing, I bet we might have a few folks who want to get in touch with y'all. Can y'all tell us how we should do that? Uh, 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 you can get in touch with me at, um, my name is Lester Walton. You can get in touch with me via email. Uh, my email is lesterjr123 at gmail.com. And also my company, my company, which is me and my partner, his name is David Kincaid, Walk In Designs. And you can get in contact with us at Walk In, W-A-L-K-I-N, Design, D-E-S-I-G-N, Team, T-E-A-M, at gmail.com. So. All right. Um, and anybody interested in collaborating or reaching out to, to LP3 can visit our website at www.lp3, spelled out, so that's T-H-R-E-E dot O-R-G, lp3.org. And if anyone can't find them, find me, <laughs> and I'll find them for you. Thank you so much, both of y'all, for joining us today. I know y'all have a busy day ahead, and I appreciate y'all carving out some time for us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you to Mike Wagner, Christina McCarter, Cisco Larson, LP, and Lester for a stellar podcast episode about ethical eating and building community. All coming to you from the Young Avenue Sound Studio in Memphis, Tennessee. Get in touch with our guests today directly or let us know and we will make the introductions. Our contact information is included in your monthly issue of River City Lifestyle. Next month, let's get together to talk about the home. Until then, have a lovely local month. <laughs>